Start jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. You should be able to hear the magnetic resonance from This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening. Whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the event horizon where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we delve into the worlds of science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I'm your host, Gene Turnbow. And I am your other host, Susan Fox. And with us is Brian Fitzpatrick, author of the Mechcraft Trilogy, with the newly newly released uh, title, Mechcraft Cataclysm. Did I get that Thank you, thank you. Thank you very much for having me, Gene and Susan. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here, as always. And it is a cataclysm. The stuff comes to boiling over. First book... We meet. We we learn about Metcraft and and more or less how how Earth people are using it. And we meet Jake, who is, you know, the the most unique user thereof. Second book, we find out it's space aliens. Third book, we meet him. Is that is that pretty much the pretty short much? Form? Yeah, I mean, uh, interdimensional uh, space aliens uh, coming in and interfering with us. And uh, the Metcraft that all these people have on the cellular level that they voluntarily had injected so they could have powers all belong to a sentient massive creature. Uh-oh. So who, it's, that's who, unpleasant. Who wants the stuff back? Well, they don't and, want but then, just of course, the along, come, along comes Jake, and he's the only one who can actually stand up to them, so they want him gone. I'm surprised there aren't more like Jake. He's the only child of parents who have the mech in them. And yeah, I didn't I didn't touch on it too much, but there have been other, of course, you know, a couple people couple up, and there have been other children born from two Metcrafters, but he's the first one who ever had it activate. Ah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, so it's uh the the third book starts off with with a bang, <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> because uh in the previous book the. What passed, what we, whom we thought was the big bad in book one, who turned out to be somebody who's just severely misguided and working for redemption. Uh, well, she's still bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but she isn't nearly as dangerous as, as what's, what's come along. Yeah, they were a big surprise to, to even myself. <laughs> when, I, when I first run over the first book, I really had just, uh, well, it was a screenplay first, as you recall, and it was kind of going to be a, a one-off. I wanted to do a trilogy, but I wanted the first story to stand alone. Like, it could, in case it just that was the only one I could ever get made as a film, I wanted that to be beginning, middle, end. Um, but then as uh, things developed, I was like, oh, I really want this to be three. There's really more to tell. And the vehicle to do it was the books, and once I started writing the books, it just just sort of came out and by the middle of the second book 
I kind of knew where I wanted to go with with you know in a, with these uh, sentient beings and how the origins of the Metcraft came about. And uh, coming up with these creatures, I, I was I was afraid of being dangerously tropish. I didn't want it to be too much like what we've seen before, but familiar enough that maybe people would kind of get it right off the bat. Well, they certainly aren't alien. I mean, you know, it's not just a guy with a forehead glued on. These beings are just, they don't understand us. They don't want to understand us. They just want our real estate. And that's about all we can really understand about them. They are alien aliens. Big time. You don't see enough of that, but I guess people don't find that very entertaining. These were, though, these, you know, because their interactions with us were bad. Nothing but bad. Oh, yeah. They just, they wanted us to take us over and probably enslave us like they did that other race. I guess. I'm not sure how much good any of us would do them, to be honest, but. (laughs) That's true. It feels like it. Feels like it, but uh, it was a lot of fun writing this book. Uh, I wanted to make sure it ended on a huge note and live up to the title of Cataclysm. And so I was like, okay, I gotta just go completely off the rails, no holding back on anything, and and having Jake push his powers far beyond than he ever had before. We had it nearly killed him at the end. Yeah, it's uh, the the journey that Jake goes through uh, from from the first book to. Uh, uh, to the third one is is quite remarkable. It's uh, you really want a story arc in your stories where your your lead character is almost unrecognizable from where he started, and you really accomplished that with this book. Oh, thank you very much. It was uh, that was one of the things I really wanted to focus on. Is you know we 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 see we have all these wonderful stories, in, especially in science fiction and fantasy, of these heroic arcs and we want them to be completely different at the end um still themselves but of course you know having learned something or suffered through something and conquered it we just want them to to emerge and i I was hoping to pull that off with jake i still think there's more to tell with him well since i guess you've already spoiled that he survives the book you know where does he go from here i mean he's he's the most public figure there ever was at this point and yeah. and and yet he still can't like go buy a drink i mean he's still a kid there's some um, i might as well let the cat out of the bag there my publisher asked if i had more uh metcraft or any other books ready to go and at first i told them no i'm done with metcraft it's you know the trilogy is over and then a couple weeks later i found myself outlining three more books <laughs> i told the publisher that i had three more books right getting gearing up and they were like great send them when they're done yeah when the publisher says do you have any more like this one you say yes, yes. exactly <laughs> it's like you know when they asked george decay if he knew how to fence oh sure i've been fencing for years ran out and learned real fast before they filmed him doing it and did a pretty credible job too. he did that exactly yeah well, it's George he Takei, looks good. of course. Yeah. True. There is nothing he can't do. Well, you know what? Him young with his shirt off, you know, there was just nothing to object to there. I don't care if his <laughs> wrist was bent. It was tough. <laughs> he was badass. He was. I like, I Still like, is. I like Bex's uh, character arc as well. She was, uh, you know, uh, uh, for those listening, Bex is... Uh, Girlfriend. Yeah. Love interest for Jake, the, the protagonist. And she... 
she loses a lot in her life and she comes close to losing more. I mean, this is the last book of a trilogy and for all we knew, the last book ever. And, you know, nobody's safe. Everybody dies was certainly, you know, on the table. Yeah. Because you're not shy about killing off your characters either. I know. I had. I think I was channeling George R. R. Martin a little bit. <laughs> you know what? Push, he didn't to, invent that, Mister Shakespeare. I had to push. I had to push that demon out and kind of be like, no, no. I gotta. I gotta. I gotta leave some of them alive. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bex was. I always wanted to with her from the very beginning. I knew I wanted to deal with a, a PTSD situation and mm-hmm. I wanted her, but I wanted her to find a way to overcome it and, or possibly overcome it. I'd still not sure if she even really ever, ever does to a degree, but uh, I wanted her arc to, to show an internal struggle. Mm-hmm. And tr- Plus she was, a, she was a badass in her own right. Um, from the beginning. Yeah. And, uh, and, the the other two characters that that uh, catch my eye in terms of story arc are of course Sasha and Trent who goes through a really remarkable transformation of being dead <laughs> well yeah. he doesn't get to but but yet his his presence and his absence are, are important to to other people's story arcs to mm-hmm. Bex who was his best friend and to the woman who loved him you know, she she had the whole PTSD situation as well, and didn't come yeah. out as well with it. She yeah, she took it an external rage uh, aspect instead. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Nira was Nira was fun to write because I didn't really give her a lot to do in the in the first one, and I gave her more to do in the second. But the third one, she really had a, a moment. She had a spotlight for a little bit there. She was on fire. She was rage just, and she went from a compassionate, you know. Uh, cult deprogrammer essentially you know helping the the hunters uh, wake up from from sasha's brainwashing mm-hmm. so she's a very compassionate person and then you know and sasha taking out trent just set her off well you know beware the wrath of a quiet man they say and a woman as well there you go hell yeah. hath no fury like a woman's corns <laughs> that's how that, that's exactly how that saying goes <laughs> you and your corny humor it's very punny so um your your publisher uh is who is your publisher and uh how long oh, have my, you been working with them my publisher is black rose writing uh based out of texas they've been around about a dozen years and um they publish a wide range. They definitely have a heavy sci-fi, fantasy, and horror area. But I've seen them publish memoirs and romance, a few romances here and there. So they, they will take on anything that fits what they want to do. And I, I kind of like that about them. And they've been super supportive. I mean, they, they let Clearly. me choose. They let me choose the cover art because um, my you know my son did uh, the all three books, and I, I, they they must have liked the way they came out. I like the way they came out. Oh, I love the art, the drippy sphere. That's, that's, you know, it, you, you, you walk in and you think, oh, well, this is somehow symbolic. No, this is what mech looks like. Exactly. I want to have a visual. When I first came up with the ideas, I just basically told him the ideas of what I wanted and he just went off with it. He just, you know, ran with it and came up with something I think really good. 
Um, but I wanted a visual so people would understand right off the bat what I'm talking about with with what Metcraft is. It's essentially liquid metal coming through the pores of someone's skin that they control. And I had that. How can I portray that? <laughs> yeah, the Terminator anyway, people only wished it looked that good, you know? Right. But uh, so the publisher, uh, yeah, they've been extremely supportive. Um, you know, I found out, you know, they have like most publishers now no one has a budget to do a lot of help assistance for their writers no one they don't put send you on traveling book tours anymore <laughs> or take out full page ads in new york times and you know they just don't they just don't have the money for it um so uh, this publisher has made connections and deals with various promoters and things like that so you can get a discount on whatever you want to if you want to purchase any kind of packages and i don't have much of a budget for that so i didn't really do too much but I found out that they had created Amazon ads uh, for me, Ooh. and I had paid for like a, a short period of time. Let me, let me just get some Amazon ads because I don't know how to write Amazon ads. I'm terrible at it. So I decided to let, let these guys who have been doing it for 12 years figure it out, and they were good. And then when I asked them a few months later uh, about maybe doing some more, they said that they had continued to do them on their own dime. They had actually paid more they kept paying to to keep the ads going because they liked the results that were happening. I thought that was fantastic. Oh, that's cool. Uh, it oh, feels it's, like it's, it's worth it to them, isn't days. it? Yeah, you that's that the proof is in the pudding as they say. And uh oh, that's excellent. You know, yeah, it, I was um, very surprised. People respond to those advertisements to buy your books in specific. That's got to make the uh, the publisher look very kindly upon whatever else you might have to offer. Them. Well, that I guess that <clears throat> explains the the inquiry. Mm -hmm. Exactly, and uh, the 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 books I've outlined four, five, and six are gonna be different. I tell you that it's definitely Metcraft, but it's I'm taking it in a direction so as to to explore new things. Well, I mean, what happens to? The Earth, the you know the 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 Americas where where all this took place and and the rest of the world, how do they respond to it? What does the you know the whole the whole world politic is going to be changed forever? Oh yeah, and, and the people we be... know are going to be the people in charge, probably. We shall see. We shall see. Who knows what dastardly deeds are coming? Mm. <laughs> Something like a 1940s broadcast. <laughs> Dastard is a word that means. Needs. Who knows what evil lurks, what lurks in the hearts of men? What is it? Who, Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? <laughs> the, sh yeah. the shadow knows. The shadow knows. Every day oh, at 4 p.m. on, on Sci-Fi Radio. No, it's, uh, it's actually <laughs> on Mondays. Mondays at 4 p.m. Pacific on Sci-Fi Radio, The Shadow. Oh, really? Good, yeah. good oh, tie-in. Good. good tie-in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Another character... Um, I wanted to mention real quick is uh, little teenage Sophie. I love Sophie, and but she makes me think. You can laugh at me, but it, but but you shouldn't because she reminds me of Toph from Avatar: The Last Airbender, who was sort of this underage, super powered, you uh, know, yeah. uh, individual. I hadn't considered that, but I should have because I I liked that series. I was watching it at the same time Met, the first Metcraft came out, and that's uh -huh. that's I just I immediately made that connection. Very self reliant, very very sharp and astute, and uh, uh, somebody that everybody underestimates. And uh, I did I did publish a short story of her origin story Ooh. separately from the Metcraft series. Ooh, where can out. we find that? 
it's in a an, an anthology called Passageways. Hmm. And Passageways is a group of writer friends who have all published kind of up and coming at the same time. And we all have existing universes, like I have Metcraft, and they, uh, they all have their other ongoing series. And so the I, concept was to take uh, a short story within each of our own uh, universes and include them in an anthology. So if you read, uh, my story is called Sophie's Gambit. If you read that one, but you'll also have eight other stories from other authors of set in their own universes that exist. It's an excellent way to sort of intro yourself into other people's series. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. You can look up, uh, Amazon has it called, it's just called Passageways. And you Google, Google that or search for that with my name on it and you know, it comes right up. It looks to me like Susan is doing that I'm doing very that. thing. Even as we speak, I'm doing that right now. The cover looks like sort of a <clears throat> desert landscape with red doors all about, all around it. Boy, I tell you, they they sure uh, there's there's a lot of books called passageways. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and I <laughs> I'm just searching for it. It's like, wait a minute, search for, search for passageways anthology and see what comes up. Yeah, that, that narrows passageways it down. nine tales. That's it. Okay, there we go. Buy now nine for two ninety nine, which I'm doing right now, and you but, should do uh, it yeah, too. Yeah, Sophie's Gambit is like a little twenty page, twenty some odd page origin story for Sophie, and I, I really like her little origin story because it really exemplifies who she is and how she got to be this complete badass at uh, 12 years old, 13 years old. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, oh, I've, I'm looking forward to reading that one too. It just goes to show that, you know, sometimes, you know, you don't have to be Jake to use this tool of, of the mech, uh, you know, in a, you exactly. know, it's, it's maximum fashion. Well, her, her hook and what made her desirable to others is that, uh, She's the youngest ever to have Metcraft activate. Usually it hits uh, people in their teenage years. The adolescent hormones change, and that's what triggers the Metcraft to activate and become sentient. With her, it can't happen very young. And so they were, so all the other factions got very curious about her because, oh, this is a game changer too. Well, actually before Jake. So Jake hadn't even come into the picture yet when she activated Oh, so she was uh, person of interest number one from all the, uh, as far as all the factions were concerned. Exactly, and but her being her self reliant self, she had no interest in any of the factions. Mm -hmm. She thinks they're all bad and they're all dorks. So she wanted nothing to do with it. Yeah. So how long have you been immersed in the universe of Metcraft? You said that uh, uh, before the books there was a screenplay. Yes. I got the original idea way back in 2014 and came from a, a medical article I read uh, about how uh, doctors at one point in the near future would be able to harness the power of nanotechnology to, to help cancer patients and that they, could, they would be able to inject it into a person and the, and the nanotech would be programmed to understand to attack and dissolve cancer cells only but leave good cells leave healthy cells alone and then die off and be flushed out of the system mm -hmm. and of course that still hasn't happened yet but the article was was about how this is coming and i thought whoa that's just amazing what if it was sentient and the the host a human could communicate and control it that's sort of where it was born I, I had been reading about that for a long time you know and of course the technology is such that uh 
Uh, nanotech is primarily biochemical rather than mechanical, you know. But that yes. certainly hasn't stopped science fiction writers from uh, from exploring that potential. Very true. It's, it's ripe for fiction. I mean, it's just such an interesting concept in many, many ways. I mean, I've seen nanotechnology used fiction-wise in so many different ways. It's very cool. I hope that plane going overhead is one of ours. We live near an airport, dear. Ah, uh, that would do it. There you go. Luckily, I didn't hear it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, so I, uh, at the time, I was strictly writing screenplays, and so I quickly jumped on board, spent months honing this script and entering into contests, and it did well, uh, but it never could get a sale, and they because they always told me, well, we love this, but it's such an expensive risk mm. with all the special effects and you have an unknown IP no one has ever heard of you or has heard of the story there's no fan base so that's what inspired me to convert it to a novel to try and build the fan base in other words they're too lazy to do it themselves they want you to exactly. do it <laughs> <laughs> right so my, my end game is definitely to see this on either the big screen or I'd love to see it as a streaming series on one of the services where it's just each book can be a season that's that's the standard practice, although although a few of them are breaking that now. Well, Wheel of Time is supposed to have more than one book per season. We'll see how that works out. Yeah, I've heard. I've heard. I've, I've heard I'm hearing mixed about that show. I've only seen the first episode, so what do I know? But, you know, it looks good so far, but looks aren't everything. Well, and it's... Um... At least, at least with Wheel of Time, we have the benefit of having the books actually finished before they start shooting. I think they're not going to make that mistake <laughs> yeah. again. Good yes. lord! Huh? Yeah. Well, after uh, you Looking know, at you, HBO. True Blood just went and spiraled off into a, an alternate universe after the first season, and that was fine. It was fine with the author. It was certainly fine with the audience. Um, yeah, it worked out pretty well, you know. But but uh, Game of Thrones stick, stuck so much to the book in the first season that, you know, I you know it was like one chapter per per episode, and I could count on my fingers. I knew exactly when the the Sean Bean fans were going to start screaming, and they did right on time. <laughs> exactly. I mean, poor Sean Bean. He dies in everything. Except, yeah. Except Sharp. He had his own series. You can't kill him off in that. Well, that's true. He probably was like, that's probably why he took it. Like, oh, yeah, they, they can't kill me here. <laughs> there we go. Till the last episode, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, but it, I don't think they did. Sean, Sean Bean gets killed in more things than I think any other actor. You know what? Sean Bean has, yep. you know, owns a piece of Lord of the Rings. He doesn't have to work again in his life like it. Oh, like that, yeah, him. that's true. True. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm not that sorry. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> but I will say, man, I really dig him in everything he's in. So, so speaking of casting, you know, if you had the infinite budget, who would you who would you cast in in uh, Let's play the casting game for Minecraft. Ah. You know, it's really hard for me to to nail down um, the teenage characters, only because I don't know teenage actors anymore. I'm not. I'm so old, and I feel like I don't know who is killing it in that that world that age category anymore i mean my my first thought was going to finn wolfhard uh from stranger things mm. Mm. Oh, be very he's good. got the attitude and he can also play a mild you know like jake starts off pretty mild and i think finn can pull that off but then rise up to be somebody powerful and i think finn can has that range um 
my my first casting was probably who I pictured as I wrote it is uh, Margot Robbie as Sasha. <gasps> yes. Oh yeah, she'd be. Oh yes, yes, she'd that's, be great. That's she probably does, my number one. And she's like beyond so far beyond Harley Quinn. <laughs> yeah, but still, you know, she does crazy really well. <laughs> oh, so good. She's yeah, she's. But she can simulate. Mm-hmm. normalcy and you know because because sasha has has to have that range she has to be able yeah, that's to true that's in true the, the peoples that she wants to use and you know like a like a wrinkled old you know sodden tissue later <laughs> she's a yeah she's a charmer when she wants to be mm-hmm. Ooh, that's, and that's she was a good very humbled in uh, the second book being imprisoned the way she was mm-hmm. uh, but oh, she was even then she was plotting and scheming to get into Jake's head, and she did, because she's a master manipulator. Yeah. So, that's actually, um, as uh, getting back to the earlier point of uh, the, the the nanotech and and the um, uh, the Metcraft and how it works. Uh, I think we're just going to have to wave our hands on some of that of a miracle happens. Well, no, I we understand that. You know. I understand that. My point was that uh, uh, usually when you see when you see stories about shape shifting, it's usually I. It's usually the people who do the shape shifting, or there's it's it's changing objects into other objects that sets it firmly into the the realm of uh, magic and fantasy. Yeah, uh, because a and, lot of times you don't get any conservation of matter. I mean, uh, you know, a, a hundred and you know two hundred pound man cannot turn into a five ounce bat. You know, <laughs> the rest <laughs> of that mass has got to go somewhere. Yeah, but uh, but you've got something. You've got a hybrid concept. Uh, your your shape shifting isn't really the people, but it's connected to them in a way that. Uh, uh, that the the traditional polymorphic story elements uh, that have come before you, uh, but that have come before Metcraft, have never done. I just I just thought that was worth bringing up. Well, I think it's limited only by the imagination of the wielder, kind of like Green Lantern. Come to think of it, that's a little bit yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of a Green Lantern effect, except. Um... Uh, without without Ryan Reynolds, but uh, <laughs> hey, I thought he was good yeah, in that. But I I, I do he appreciate didn't write you. It. <laughs> it's true. No, Ryan Reynolds is fantastic. He he can do anything. He can do no wrong. But um, yeah, no, I appreciate you pointing that out. It was a different concept where the you know the people aren't changing, uh, but they it's like a dare I say a host virus sort of connection where you know we're the host and this nanotech inside of us is the virus, but we're connected telepathically to it. And I, I want to say it kind of, I never, I didn't really touch on too much and I might in the future, but they, the nanotech needs us as much as we need it once it's inside of them. It doesn't seem to be inclined to kill the host or to use it, use the host for its own motivations. It doesn't seem to have motivations. And yeah, there, well, there's a hint of it when when a Metcrafter gets killed, there, you know, there, there's if there's violence involved, there's the blood and the silver of the nanotech is all sort of mixed around and all just dead. So when the host dies, the nanotech dies. Hmm. So there's there's an definitely a, a, an interest in maintaining life. <laughs> okay. So so you can't kill somebody and take their mech. 
It doesn't work. No, that way. no matter how much Sasha would love to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that would have been. Hmm. She yep. would have robbed Jake of his in a heartbeat if she could have. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, she absolutely would have. And she even touched on on possibly in the third book. She even met up with those uh, rumored uh, Metcraft, what she called them, vampires. The the, the rumor of that co- uh, coven of them in mm-hmm. Austin that they had that power. They had developed a unique power that they could siphon it off of people. No, Which I no, won't give man. away how okay, that turned yeah, out. That, that turned I won't out. give away what happens with that. I found that very entertaining and realistic. Yeah, I am. Uh, that would ex- that would absolutely happen. Yeah, you know, I am. Uh, I am only part way through the book, so I have not yet Shush. found out what happens oh, to them. Okay, I will say nothing. <laughs> you know, I'm oh, as, you're gonna love. You're gonna love how it ends. Yeah, I'm. I'm looking forward to actually finishing it because I've read the first two books, and uh, you know, I mean, they read. Oh, they read like uh, they have been in another medium before a book, to be frank. Well, they did in his head. Well, and they did, yeah. But, you know, they started as a screenplay. and, and uh, uh, But the thing is that the story is so compelling from my, from my perspective. You know, once you get into it and, and you get in, engaged in these characters, you want to know what happens to him. What happens to Jake? Uh, does he become... A godlike character? Does he lose his humanity? You know, what happens to Bex in either of those situations? You know, because neither of them is good. Uh, well, what's uh, going to happen to them at age 30, 40, 50? Yeah. Right, right. You know, I mean, the, what will their emotions be at that point? Where How will they be as people? Yeah. I mean, uh, you, you, you put something that transformative into somebody's life and it fundamentally changes who they are, who they become as people. And, uh, so there's a lot, there's a lot to draw you into this. And I'm really looking forward to finishing the third book because I want to see how the story ends. Oh, I appreciate that a lot. And, uh, you are absolutely correct. It, It does, I feel it does read, um, like it did belong somewhere else first. I mean, the first book obviously was a screenplay first, so that mm-hmm. naturally felt like, oh, this feels cinematic. The other two were straight from my brain to uh, the page, and oh, and out of course extensive outlining. But they were <laughs> never a medium first. But I think they, mm-hmm. I think they still read like they're they were from a screenplay or from something else first. Maybe that's just how well, my I brain think, works. Well, I think it's just how your brain works because you're you're trained to it. You're trained to the visual medium. Mm-hmm. And you describe things that way because if they're if they're too much in their own thoughts, you can't see it on the screen. That's what they emphasized over and over in screenwriting classes. But the yeah. difference the difference uh uh between the first book and the second the the second and third books uh to me, the the difference in tone was definitely perceptible. You know, I I could tell that one had a foundation in something in in an, in another medium where the other two did not. Yeah, I, I there the 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 difference is subtle, but it's there and you can sense it. Well, it's so much bigger. Yeah, it's so much bigger. There's so much so in a book you can do anything. And that's the joy. I think that is what the joy I found in the writing process. Of the, of the novels is that I'm unlimited. I can, I can get into these characters' heads. I can describe anything I want in any way I want. And uh, with a screenplay, you just can. I mean, I love the, the format of screenwriting with its uh, structure and you know, even the rules. I kind of find a 
joyful challenge, if I dare say. Mm-hmm. But there's something really awesome about the novel freedom, just going, I'm just going to write what I want to write and say what I want to say and how I want to say it. And uh, as long as it comes off good and the reader enjoys it, then I'm happy. So you said earlier that you do an extensive amount of outlining. You are not you are not a pantser, as oh, they say. Well, no. Yeah, but it sure sounded like he had some, some pivots in the middle of things, uh, at least in the second book of, oh, my God, that's what happens. <laughs> yeah, I, what I do, yeah, I'm, I have to outline uh, as extensively as I can just so I don't write myself into a corner, which I have been known to do. But I also keep a mental note of, of being flexible with it along the way. So I, I will still usually end up at the same ending I wanted, but I have definitely allowed for tangents or different thoughts. Maybe the character behaves in a different way than I had anticipated. Um, in fact, what happens at the end of book two to Trent, I had only decided to do that right about at that page. <laughs> I mean, I was on the fence. Do I up the stakes with this or do I do it this other way? And the way I chose, I knew would piss off a lot of people. And it did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's a, it's a good thing. You know, it's a, uh, who was it that said, uh, uh, what's think of the worst possible thing you can do to your characters and then do that. Who, that was Lois, Lois McMaster Bujold, who has certainly done that. And it's true. It holds true. I have thought you know, of, I have thought of some more much worse things to do to work characters. I don't do well, tell her. <laughs> but it, you know, it became it became a catalyst for a lot of things in book three, and uh, so I thought it was really important to do that and important to Sasha's character. I think at least her their, her her perception or the main character's perception of Sasha because of her actions. Mm-hmm. Almost like she's back. That kind of motivation, that kind of reaction. Yeah. Uh oh. <laughs> hmm. You know, I anyway, I'm I'm just uh I'm really looking forward to it. It's uh You shouldn't have admitted you didn't finish reading it. Well, I'm sorry. I've just There you, you know, go being not, honest. Yeah. Uh, Honesty well. is the best policy. <laughs> yeah, well there's there's so much there's you know, I still have something to look forward to though, you know? Well, you're letting so you're good. you're it's making good. us stay honest about no spoilers. I mean, we've kind of uh-huh. blown a lot, but not all of it. <laughs> well, thankfully, I haven't blown like the really big stuff. There's uh, a lot of spoilers, a lot of twists and turns in this one, a lot of unexpected things in this one. So that's good. You got that to look forward to still. There's um, I was just think, thinking back. You know, this is my third time with your show, and I still remember the very first time you and I met. Gene is at that uh, WonderCon, or mm. I was. Right. Just, I hadn't even written the book yet. I was in the process, and I gave you an early ARC of it, and it was kind of a mess back then. Mm-hmm. We've come a long way. We've, you know, just a yeah, lot of very much so, very much so. Well, it's lovely to he, you know, to see you that 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 um, that panel succeeded in in your case. You know. Oh, that was my favorite panel of the weekend. We're doing it again at LostCon, actually. Oh, that's awesome. Probably about right about the time it we people hear this. Come to think of it. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah, I usually do it at WonderCon, and, and I had done it at San Diego Comic-Con. It, the panel was called um, Full-Time Creativity on a Part-Time Schedule. Uh, and uh, uh, it was run by Topher Davila. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, uh, 
and and he, he gets the best speakers for that people who have been there and done that and you know had the full-time job and still managed to make miracles happen in their creativity yeah and uh so yeah so we're uh um, and they're all so encouraging and i ju- you know just watching everyone in the audience just blossom out of it you know going oh i'm gonna go do this and some of them do this and some of them don't but that's the way life is sometimes it's, very it's true it, it was very inspiring both i've been to it twice and it's just an inspiration not only from the panelists but to see audience members you know get excited and even some of them talk about the accomplishments they've made over the since from one time to the next it's really great yeah that's I, the best part i think the best part for me is uh you know uh, staying after the panel and standing out in the hallway and taking the time to give each uh, individual person you know the individual attention that i couldn't give them in the panel that's that for me is the best part and that's very rewarding. I mean, you and I chatted for a while after after that first one. Yeah, that's right. We great. did. Yeah. So the book is Metcraft Cataclysm. And it's by uh, Black Rose Writing, which is the publishing company. And the author is Brian Fitzpatrick, whom we are speaking to now. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Event Horizon on Sci-Fi.Radio. It's been great to have you with us. Thank you so much. You guys have always been very supportive, and I've loved coming on your show. And I may have something coming up uh, pretty soon. I would love to chat again. It's a TV pilot. Oh, my goodness. Yay. That sounds wonderful. A- a- absolutely. You you sell that sucker and we're we're on it. We're still there. <laughs> Excellent and and uh, offline. Let's chat about uh, the uh, the book when you finish it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Absolutely. So and also, I do love to engage um, in the readers and the audience. You guys can always find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under at symbol author Brian Fitzpatrick. Well, thanks for being here on the Event Horizon. Thank you so much for having me, you guys. Thank you. You have been listening to episode 230 of Sci-Fi.Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for Saturday, November 26th, 2021. Our guest this evening has been Brian Fitzpatrick, author of Metcraft Cataclysm, the third novel in the Metcraft series available from Black Rose Writing and on Amazon.com. This episode will air again on November 27th, 2021 at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern tomorrow afternoon and two more times on the following Thursday and Saturday mornings at 4 a.m. Pacific, 7 a.m. Eastern. Once all of the airtimes have passed, you will find this episode as a podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Pandora, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and on our own website at sci-fi.radio. Sci-Fi.Radio is listener-supported Sci-Fi Geek Culture Radio, and the vast majority of our funding comes from listeners just like you. We are asking you to visit patreon.com slash sci-fi radio and pledge $5 a month to help keep the station on the air. Come on, it's just the price of a cup of coffee. You can do this. Give the gift of geek music to your friends by helping the world's only full-time sci-fi fandom radio station stay on the air. 
That's patreon.com slash sci-fi radio. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was played by sci-fi illustrator Mark Schurmeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. And the navigator was Christine Cherry. The captain was voiced by science fiction grandmaster Larry Niven. This program is copyright 2021 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon on sci-fi.radio. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. <laughs>